what we mean by a Jesus hermeneutic is viewing and interpreting all of Scripture through a person, Jesus Christ, not through a system or an ism. Welcome to the Disciple Nation podcast, episode one. Episode one. Sitting here with Senor Sam McVeigh and Jordan Hatfield. Hello. How are you guys doing this morning? Great. Good. Everybody good, huh? Good to be with you, Jason. All right, all right. Awesome. So, this morning, we are going to jump into a pretty uh, pretty heavy topic, mm-hmm. right? Tell yes. us what we're talking about. We're going to talk today about something central to us. Uh, the, the, the vision statement of Disciple Nations is spreading the supremacy of Christ in all the nations. So, Jesus is the center of everything we're doing and preaching and filming and all that. So, we want to start with talking about a Christ-centered theology, how Christ is the center of the whole of scriptures. As we use the scriptures as a basis for everything we do, uh, we want to uh, center Jesus at the center. So, And so tell me, is this a problem? Are people not doing this? Yes, I think it's a, an epidemic problem. And I think it's a thing that happens in sincerity as they try to interpret. And sometimes we can be principle-based. And there's wonderful principles in the Bible and promises. Love the promises. But in the middle of that, if we lose the person of Jesus Christ, we have lost the theme of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'd say this this uh, extends past uh, issues with theologians and, and prominent teachers that are around the world and the body of Christ. But it extends even to, uh, in a personal way, to the individual's walk with the Lord and, and how are you interpreting your relationship with the Lord? How are you attempting to walk it out? Are you attempting to do it by the flesh or by the Spirit? And having a proper uh, Christ-centered theology is really at the heart of, of uh, making the final decision of whether you are in the flesh or in the Spirit. Um, yeah, that's really good. I think it's the difference between religion, relationship between spirit or the spirit of the law, and mm-hmm. and again, just is all around the person of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Frame that out a little bit for me. Give me just an example, maybe if you can, of a verse that means something else to somebody when it's principled or promise-based versus mm-hmm. Christ-based. Do you have something you can think of? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. John fourteen six. Take mm-hmm. it, Jordan. Yeah, so Jesus said, I am the way the truth and the life. And so what that, what that means uh, is that God hasn't given people uh, a variety of solutions or a variety of methods to uh, overcome sin or to, or to uh, find peace or to overcome Satan or to gain righteousness. He hasn't given a variety of solutions or methods. He's given one solution, one method, which is the person of Christ. It's his son. And Jesus, that's why he says, I I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And there is no other way or ways. There is no other truths. There is no, no other life, but I am. Yeah. So some, so some people then will read the scriptures and say, ooh, this sounds really good. Um, this is going to help me overcome such and such, or this is going to help me do better, or, oh, this is exactly what I need to, o- to overcome Satan's schemes in my life. Yet 
they're looking at the scripture apart from the person of Christ. That's right. And so they can separate and they start to see things mm-hmm. like G- that God gave us a way and gave us a truth, some truths and a life. But really, his son is all those things. Mm-hmm. And once you get them centered in his son, then we think you're in agreement with the Holy Spirit and what the Father has given us. He is way. He is truth. He is life. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Fun stuff. Yes. So you've got a couple of scriptures that you're going to use as a foundation for continuing in this conversation. Yes. Right? So we, so essentially what, we, what we've just done is we've just presented a problem, right? <laughs> yeah. And so you're, we're going to talk about some solutions. That's right. That's right. And, and I think, yeah, make the point that the Bible itself testifies to what we're testifying to. Mm-hmm. And Jesus uh, does that. So in John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus is, um, the beginning of this chapter is where he heals the man at the pool. And he gets in trouble because he tells the guy to pick up the mat. And then, then he talks about sonship quite a bit. It's one of our favorite passages. And he'll talk about how he's doing what the Father's doing. He's walking that out. He's talking about the Father. But he, it, it engages this controversy, one of multiple, with the Pharisees. And um, he will say in John 5.39, you study uh, to the Pharisees the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures, though, that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. And when he does that, it's, um, it's, it's that clear distinction we're making. Again, Jesus right here really says all of the Old Testament is testifying about me. And so you're, you're studying, and, and I think he would have appreciated their sincerity, their love for the scriptures, how they'd broken down, although they had gone to extremes beyond with Sabbath rules and various things and laws and heavy loads they were putting on people. Um, but they had missed that the central point of all of the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi is about Jesus. And that's what he's saying. These testify of me, mm-hmm. and I'm the place that there is life, yet you're refusing to come to me. You're studying scriptures thinking out of them you get the life, but it's in me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so that just makes me think of the scripture that says having a form of godliness yet denying its power. Yeah. So it's yes, possible then to read the scriptures, to somewhat fulfill the law, right? Live out a way, live in such a way that, I mean, you're a Pharisee. You look like you've got mm-hmm. it all together because of your actions, yet on the inside, you've still... You've still not found true life, which is Christ. So yes. I'm I'm obedient to these rules, these laws, but then I'm works based if I reject Christ. Yes, that's good. And I I think that sums up exactly the scripture I just wanted to bring up, which is in Colossians two, and that's where Paul is dealing with this subject exactly, um, and it's purest the purest form of uh, him explaining the difference between. <clears throat> Uh, Jesus being uh, the way, truth, and life, and having ways, truth, and life. So, so a verse here that he, he's he's talking to this church about them attempting to uh, be righteous or add to their sanctification with uh, with methods and with principles, and they were focused in on what they were eating or drinking, right. or whether they're attending these these festivals or not, or whether they're keeping the Sabbath or not. And what Paul says and Colossians 2.17, he says, These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance or the reality belongs to Christ. And so that's really exactly what Sam just brought up from John 8, where Jesus says that all of the scriptures, if, if you study the scriptures <laughs> and you come away with a theology, and at the heart, at, at the, the center stage of that theology is something other than the person of Christ, 
then you've missed it and you focused in on a shadow and you haven't gotten yet to the reality that there's a deeper place to go. It's not that you don't necessarily have a form of the truth, like you're saying, but you haven't reached the end goal that God has for you to get from the scriptures because this says that the Old Testament, it was all like all the laws, all the, the regulations and rules and having that form of following God. But if Christ isn't the very substance in the reality, then you're missing it. I've always thought to myself and... I mean, obviously, the Lord has put me here in this context of my worldview uh, for a reason. But I have to realize I'm consuming the scriptures as a Gentile and not as a Jew or an right. Israelite. Right. And so these guys grew up with the law, with these festivals, um, with these meals, with, with um, you know, the celebrations, uh, Passover, right, Feast of the Tabernacles, all of this this stuff that was a part of their culture that we we really don't have any idea about because we're not engulfed in it. Um, but it would have made so much sense to the Jews who then came to know Christ because they would have looked back and said, man, the first time I remember eating Passover, that was Christ, right? right. Types and shadows and symbolism. So all of the Old Testament, right. hmm. the prophecies, the scriptures, the law, all of that, pointed to Jesus, right? That's right. And I think in that respect, I like to think about Saul to Paul. Saul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. This guy knew the Old Testament. And I like to, I wish there could be an inward video of his emotional response. Once he finds out, knocked off the donkey blind, he finds out Jesus is speaking from heaven. He's not only going through, oh no, I've made a mistake. I'm persecuting the Messiah. But the way the word of God must have opened to him. You know, he, he understands, oh my, the Sabbath was the sun, the, mm -hmm. the Passover, the, the, the sheep that were, oh my, the prophecy, Isaiah 53, the, that's the Messiah, the that's seventh, Jesus. The seventh day of creation. Yeah. Right, Yeah. right. And so he's, I just think it had to be like fireworks going off in his mind. And you'll see that as he writes his epistles. He yeah. will lift up and say, there's two sons, Hagar or Ishmael and Isaac. There's two uh -huh. women. They represent two mountains. Yeah. And you'll see him do that and preach the gospel. Yeah, there's, there's the first man and the last man. And he starts yeah. to mm -hmm. kind of pick that apart. Dive into that for me. You said is, Jesus is the seventh day of creation. Hmm. Is this what you just said? <laughs> Something like that? Yeah. Dive into that. I've never heard that. Yeah, that'd be one for you, Sam, I think. Well, Hebrews chapter 4 will talk about a Sabbath rest mm -hmm. that still remains for the people of God. And so the Sabbath rest, you wonder why seven days. In six days, which is the number of man mm -hmm. in Scripture, he's creating all things. But on the seventh day, God rests. Well, he's not tired. But what he's doing is he's preaching grace. Mm -hmm. Adam's first day was not a day of work. He's commissioned to fill the earth, but his first day is a day of rest. You, you must rest in me, and then you will work from that place. And so the writer of Hebrews uh, will lift that up and say that Christ really interprets he is the Sabbath rest mm -hmm. of the Father. His finished work is what we rest in. And so we see this historical seventh day. We see it in our everyday way, but it's preaching every week, you know, this amazing principle that Christ is where we rest. Mm -hmm. It's so good. Yeah, it'll preach. <laughs> That'll podcast. Well, and we'll we want to get there a little bit because the whole testament is full of these kinds of things, and I, yeah. I'd like to just point out a couple of those: uh, these shadows and these types of um, 
things that are there from the beginning because Colossians is going to say that Christ is involved in the creation process. Mm-hmm. When it says yeah. the Lord said, it says that Jesus is the word of God. He's right there speaking and involved with the Father. And then there's little shadows all the way through. And let's just talk about a couple mm-hmm. of those if we can. And, um, you know, like on the third day, for example, and you want to be careful and stay within the framework of the scriptures and not stretch things too far. True. But on the third day, um, the Lord uh, creates, he separates land and water. And in the land, he puts the seed. Mm-hmm. And the seed is put in the land on the third day. Mm-hmm. And Jesus will talk in John chapter 12 when he's talking to the boys who are getting, oh my, you're talking about going and dying. He'll say, hey, unless a seed grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it cannot produce back fruit. So he's saying he's the seed. He's the ultimate seed that's going to produce all this fruit that's coming in the earth. And so it's by no accident, we believe, that on the third day, the third day of resurrected, he would uh, put the seed revelation, if you will. Mm -hmm. And so there you have a little shadow of Christ. Um, you go forward, and when he's making Adam and Eve, um, when he's going to get Eve, he didn't go and get some more dirt. Adam's made out of dirt and formed and breath, and God makes him. But when he makes Eve in Genesis 2, he'll put Adam to sleep, lay him down, reach into his side, pull out the rib, and produce, raise Adam back up, and there's Eve, the church. And really, we have a beautiful gospel picture Mm -hmm. of the death and resurrection of the Christ type, and then out from the side, out from him, comes the church. The church is only the church if it comes out from Christ. You all right? Hold on, so hold good. on to your seat. Hold on to your seats. It's amazing. Yeah. So so what I'm so what I'm kind of experiencing right now, what you're doing for me is um so in the same way that the Jews would read the scriptures and they think it's about the menorah, they think it's about, you know, just the history. manna, yeah. history of history, their faith. Whatever. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then like you said, Saul to Paul, Paul will then go through and be like, that's Jesus. Yes. That's Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's Jesus. Yes. That's Jesus. He sees him and so day. the same way that Paul got new eyes, scales fell off his eyes, right? Mm-hmm. He got new eyes to be able to see Christ throughout the scriptures. You're saying that that can be our same experience. That is the process of sanctification. Mm-hmm. Not me getting better at doing righteousness, but me becoming more OCD on Jesus is the way I like to say it. I mean, yeah. Saul is, he's a heretic. I got to kill her, but it's with him. Oh my, he knocked me off. Lord, Lord, who are you? I'm Jesus. Wet your pants. You know, <laughs> then move forward. And it says he immediately begins to preach. He's the Messiah. Yeah. That's a, that's a level of revelation. But then you move forward and he's talking about him, the full atonement. And you get to Colossians in my time, you're 20 years down the road. Paul has progressed to Jesus made everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everything's in him and for him and by him. I mean, he really went crazy on this Jesus thing. And I think that the process of our growth in the faith is not getting smarter doctrinally or even getting better morally. It's us growing in possessing Christ in the fullness of all that he is. And, and really, that is a that is exactly what Paul is saying again in Ephesians 4 when he's talking about God giving gifts to the body of Christ and making some teachers and some pastors and some prophets. And he says the purpose of that is so that we can all reach a unity in the faith and a unity in the knowledge of the Son of God. And he and, and again, you see there that in Paul's mind, there were not many things 
not many principles, not many methods that God has given us to add to our sanctification or to grow us in maturity. Growing in maturity, in Paul's mind, is exactly what Sam has just said. It's growing in what? A knowledge of the Son of God, and and not just a head knowledge, but an experiential That's relationship, right. yeah. faith-based knowledge where you are embracing the living person of Jesus for yourself. Um, you're embracing who he is. You're embracing him as your way, as your truth, as your life, as you're, you're knowing him. You're, you're embracing all of God's promises for yourself that are true in the person of Jesus. All, God's put all of his promises in Jesus. And he says, receive those promises, believe them, and let them stir up hope in your heart. But that, that you have to do that. You can't get his promises anywhere except by embracing him. And so, yeah, I think Ephesians 4 sums that up perfectly by saying maturity and growth, sanctification of the body of Christ is, uh, is by growing in the knowledge of the Son of God. A couple years ago, it was probably three years ago, 2014, when we first started The Source, I kind of went on a doctrine kick right like I just I caught this wild hair started reading all these books and doing all this studying and I thought man I'm gonna I'm gonna get sound doctrine I'm gonna figure out where I stand where do I stand on this where do I stand on that how you know how do I feel about um predestination how do I feel about women in ministry and just all these different things right and so I start diving into the scriptures and I'm and I feel like I'm learning and then I'm communicating some of these doctrines to the people around me that I love and there's like this rub all of a sudden it starts to become divisive right and I'm thinking what in the world like gosh either I have to be really strong in my stances and just hold my ground um or maybe I'm focused too much on the wrong thing right (laughs) scripture scripture says teach Mm what is in accordance with sound doctrine, right? Yes, yes. Rightfully dividing the word of God. I mean, there's there's commands for that. Um, and I understand in that context, they were battling certain heresies in a certain context and culture and that kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> however, it wasn't too long after that that the Lord began to show me um, in Scripture that it's all about Him, right? Yes. So... I got to a point to where I was thinking, um, man, what is, you know, what's the most important thing? And and it was the Lord showing me through scripture where he says, you know, uh, many would come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do these things? And he'll say, away from me, I never knew you. And I was like, oh my gosh, I need to know Jesus, right? Yes. And like, and so that I came away from that saying, I need to know more Christ I might gain more doctrine, but if I'm searching the scripture simply for doctrine, I'm missing Jesus. And there was a shift personally for me where then I began to say, yes, I need to know Jesus Hmm. more. Right. Right. That's very good. And I think that the scripture would say to have sound doctrine. Paul will say that, Timothy. But you got to know what he meant by that. What he meant was a, a accurate revelation of the person of Jesus Christ, his yeah. redemptive work, and what he's going to do in the future. That's sound doctrine. We have shifted that. And so for me, one of the main, the two ways to look at the scripture are really represented well by the two trees that were in the center of the garden. In the center of the garden are these two trees. There's the tree of life. 
And it's the issuing the life of God that is given to these creatures, Adam and Eve, that would keep them alive forever. And they would walk in the cool of the day. Or there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they are told not to do to eat of that one. And so those two so represent how are you going to are you going to approach the scripture through a lens of looking for what's good and what's evil. And I'm going to try to do the good and I'm going to try not to do the evil. And truly there is a plumb line of righteousness revealed in the scripture. We 100% believe that. And God is concerned about that. But he will say, I mean, that's embodied in the law in its fullness. And he'll say the law was given not to save us, but to actually that sin might increase to reveal how lost we are. What we need is life. And so the life of God, Jesus in John 1, 4 says, in him was life, and that life is the light of men. Mm -hmm. And that life is what we need that really produces the manifestation of all that God is looking for through us. Yeah. So I I think of where uh, Jesus says, nobody can come to the Father except through me. And that is that's absolutely applicable to doctrine. And I think doctrine and theology is uh, ultimately it's all about a trying to figure out who God is, right? Oh. It's trying to figure out who who is God. What does He do? How does He how does He act in in uh, as it has to do with predestination and and things like that? Like who is He? Mm-hmm. And so what doctrine does when people attempt to figure it out separate from Christ is that is that ultimately you're trying to figure out God but you're you're kind of setting aside if you set aside the supremacy of Christ then you are you're not really going through Jesus and so ultimately you're not going to end up at a true revelation of the Father because it's only through Christ it's only as he is centered and you're looking at all of scripture all of theology through the lens of God's son that you're going to be able to truly uh, end up at the destination of the Father and a true revelation and understanding of who He is, and so doctrine becomes wrong and and faulty, and it may have an appearance of wisdom and truth to it. But when something something has uh, your theology or your doctrine has anything else elevated, uh, and, and it's become the main thing rather than Christ, then it's you, you can rest assured that something's off with it. And I think that applies with even good things that may look good. If, if God's sovereignty, the sovereignty of God, has become the main the main thing, if that's kind of taken the center stage in your theology, if God's sovereignty even, something as good as that, as true as that, if that's the main point mm. that you're coming away with in your theology, then I think that's a pretty sure sign that you're missing something. Mm. Because if Christ is not the one who's being lifted up in your doctrine, if he's not the main point, and if he doesn't have the center stage, then then you're not you're not coming to God's end point for you, you in the doctrine you're looking at. So, hmm. and, yeah, go ahead. So I was I was thinking about, and there may or may not be a connection here, but Genesis chapter three verse six. So when the woman saw that the tree was good, yes, for food, exactly, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She gave him gave some to her husband that was with her, and he ate. The scripture is good. Mm-hmm. For wisdom and knowledge. Yes. However, hmm. right? Yes, however. However, if we're not finding Jesus in the scriptures, we're not truly finding life. That's exactly However, right. <laughs> if we come to know Christ, Christ yes. lives in us, his Holy Spirit, you know, comes in and begins to work out and flesh out righteousness yes. through us, well then 
we can attain the righteousness and the goodness that the scripture speaks of, but we can't do it without Jesus, without the spirit, right? That's right. So he works through us to attain to it. So we can see the scripture that it's good for, and we can study, 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 doctrinize, right? Have Do podcasts. Yes, yes. <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> Invite our friends over and talk about it over coffee. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, but it's still possible to miss it yeah. when yes. we're missing Jesus. Yeah. If Christ is not the substance of what you're doing, if he's not the reality of it, if if that's if he's not energizing your work and your effort, mm-hmm. then then you're ending up in a first Corinthians three spot where you're building wood, hay and stubble that is gonna burn in the end day. And it doesn't matter how theologically wise and righteous and good it sounds if you can't look at it and see that Jesus Christ is the one energizing it, if he's not the one fueling it, then God doesn't, he can't accept it. It's right. filthy rags to him. I think it's important mm. to remember that it was the tree mm. of the knowledge of good and evil yeah. that he did not want them to have. He did not want them to have the knowledge of evil, but he didn't want them to have the knowledge of good. Yeah. Sometimes we settle <laughs> short for good. Yes. Good is good enough and it's not good enough. Mm-hmm. God wants us to have life. And life is in his son, and he is, yeah. So that's that's a huge thing. The Old Testament, just to be clear, is full of, and, and we, we're trying to teach our disciples this, to be able to, a, a Jesus hermeneutic yes. is being able to look through the lens of a person to interpret the whole of Scripture. So we want people to do more than have a series of stories. There's the story of Adam and Babel and then Noah, and he's got a big boat, and there's a flood, and then Abraham, he's got a boy. You know, you can see those stories, break them out, get good principles out of them, and end up missing the point. Okay, so the the Old Testament's its main theme is is Christ. So it's full of prophecies, for instance. There are at least 300 prophecies about the first coming of Jesus. There are double to triple that of the second coming of Christ. We're talking hundreds and hundreds of prophecies. By the way, all of those 300, 333, somewhere in there, were all fulfilled in the life of Jesus, the first coming. But there's double for the second coming, which it talks about both. But it's full of prophecies of the coming king and the suffering servant. It's also full of shadows. We talked about that earlier. Things that hint toward. So the boat that you get in that protects you from the wrath of God flood is talking about more than a boat. Jesus. Yes. Yes. He is the boat. He is the tree of life. He is, and this is what we'll find out in scripture. He is the Sabbath. And so you see these shadows and these types of Christ all the way through. And it's even found in pieces of our key figures. King David becomes really the hotbed of of most of the messianic prophecies. Mm -hmm. This worshiping warrior king, even though he had frailties and issues, you know, he really is that. Moses is such a deliverer. Joshua, which Jesus' name is, Joshua, he's the one who... Yeah, saves us and brings yeah. us into the land. Over yeah. and over and over, you see these types. Yeah. It's interesting because, um, you know, growing up and hearing these stories, so someone read the story of David and Goliath, mm-hmm. and they'll say, so who do you resonate with? Are you the Israelites shaking in their boots? Are you you Goliath? Are you causing problems in people's lives? Are You know, are, are you the brothers who you hate your family? And yeah. you know what I mean? And it's like, who do you resonate with? And yeah. like, oh, yeah, I'm a David. I'm a this. I'm a that. But more than anything now, it's like Christ in us. 
we resonate more with David now because of Christ in us yes. rather than just resonating with David. Yes. Right? Because now, it's Christ in us that begins to manifest those attributes of some of those characters who did great and mighty things. In the story, <clears throat> David is as the Christ seemingly weak. In the anointing, prophesying, I'm going to cut your head off to yeah. an enemy that looks strong, and yeah. he cuts his head off, which is a fulfillment of Gen- the first prophecy, the headwaters. Genesis yeah. chapter three. Yeah. I'm going to crush the head. Yeah. So you see that picture all through, and right there, you're looking at the gospel. It's so. So my question is, like, how? I mean, obviously, you've. How long have you been in ministry? How long have you been studying the Bible, Sam? I, I'm 40 years into studying the Bible, reading it, and I've been Man, in the ministry about. I know I'm old. You're old. So 40 <laughs> years wandering, or have you actually like? Oh, like in the Word, pretty. Yeah, exactly. I think. Exactly. Yeah, I'm you, still figuring you it still out. You still lost. Yeah. But um, and then about 25 years of ministry. So. So why? 25 years of ministry because I mean it just. You have a certain level of understanding and a certain level of Jesus hermeneutic, right? That is, to me, is it's refreshing, um, but it's insightful and exciting, mm. right? Like, and and so I guess my question is, how then it, we're talking to disciples, making disciples, you want to train disciples? How do you train a disciple to have that Jesus hermeneutic in all things in through all Scripture? You know, is it? Did you hear some guy talk about it? Was it the Holy Spirit that said that's Jesus? You know, because I can read Isaiah 53 and I'm like, oh, it's so beautiful. It's right there. It's right, him. Right. But when I'm reading David and Goliath, I'm not thinking, oh, that was the, you know, in Genesis 3, this is the, you know, another shadow of it. I'm not thinking that. Yes. Yeah. Right. So how do you think we cultivate that in ourselves? That's a great question. And you gave a couple options and I would say yes to all of them. <laughs> so it's Bible. Holy Spirit, who is the greatest teacher on planet Earth is constantly compelling us to find Christ. But even in the middle of that, religious strongholds can keep us from seeing Jesus. So I've ripped off, so I feel, I say a lot, I've ripped off Paul. I'm looking at Paul, and if I honestly read him, I see his obsession with Jesus and how he is interpreting the Old Testament. He's interpreting it from, he'll say in 1 Corinthians 10, um, and a rock, water came from it, and that rock was Christ. And he's the provision. So you see that. Then guys like Watchman Nee, and I'm not standing behind everything. I don't know what our listeners might think about Watchman Nee, but when you read a book like Jesus Christ, the sum of all spiritual things, five chapters, my favorite book besides the Bible. It's this tiny little book just talking about Jesus being everything. That that reading that little book then set mm. it set a trajectory for me yeah. of how I would look at the Bible. I've got lots more from the Bible than I've read from other guys, but that helped me shift trees, if sure. you will. Sure. So you spend a lot of time around Sam. Um, I was going to ask you, so personally for you, having do you have a Jesus hermeneutic? Is it at work through you and? I think, in I all of your so. reading and yes, maybe does. where did it come from and how do you see it flush yeah. out? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I think it's, uh, you know, how, how do you get people to see that? That's a great question. So I think for me, it's something where we can absolutely say the spirit 
is burning and desiring to testify about Jesus. And that's, that's what he's all about. That's so any believer that has the spirit of God in them, it's the spirit of Christ. Now the full revelation of who God is, has been made known. The mystery has been made known in Christ. And that is what the spirit possesses. That's what, that's his message. And so, so with that though, the spirit is in every believer and he is the teacher. And like first John says, you don't need any man to teach you because you have the spirit. Um, and he is the one who teaches you. But I, I think we can pull back Ephesians 4, where it says God has given mm-hmm. prophets and pastors and teachers for the purpose of helping people to get into that true knowledge of Christ. And so, so yeah, that, that same book that, that Sam mentioned, Christ, the sum of all spiritual things, that was also a huge uh, pivotal moment of shifting my thinking. But, um, but what I've noticed about that was that that, that book wasn't really bringing new concepts. It was bringing things that the spirit ha- was already burning in me so that when I saw it, it wasn't like, this is new. It's it like, yeah. this is stuff I've already it's been... It's kind of confirmed. Yeah, it's like yeah. the spirit's already been saying this. He, he's just putting words to it. He's, he's putting, he's yeah. communicating it in a way where now I can like process it, but the spirit was already doing that. And yeah. I believe he's doing that in every believer. Yeah, so I'm reminded of two things. One thing um, is... Uh, the two men on the road to Emmaus, yes. Jesus opens the scriptures, testifies about himself, of himself from Moses their hearts, all the yeah, their hearts are burning within them, right? You talked about a burning as they're hearing the scripture. They're just like, ah, oh, there's something going on here. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I, I think that there's scripture that, um, that resonates or confirms that. But the other thing I was going to say was, and I just wrote this down, make it okay for people to listen to the spirit in them. Because I think some people have these strongholds, whether it's a religious stronghold, maybe they grew up in a church where it was, you know, you can read the Bible, but I'm going to tell you what it really means kind of thing. And it wasn't Jesus centered. And so then now they have this spirit in them that's trying, that's poking and prodding Mm -hmm. and burning and saying, you know, this is what this means. This is what this means. But maybe there's a stronghold or some fear or something. So just, somehow some way give people some freedom to yes. allow the spirit to teach them and know that the center piece of warfare from the enemy is blinding the minds of unbelievers and believers to seeing Christ mm. it clearly says that second Corinthians 4 4 if they are blinded to the gospel it's because the enemy's doing that then he'll go later in second Corinthians 11 later in the book and say and you believers I'm concerned that just as Eve was deceived from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. so the enemy yeah he's trying to give us flat tires and aching backs and actually kill us yeah. and martyrdom but the central thing he's trying to do is to darken our understanding for the revelation of Jesus so I'm saying that to say this is war what we're talking about is exciting and liberating, but you're bumping up against the centerpiece. The enemy's main mission is to distort the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that that reminds me, and it's it's halfway applicable to what you just said. But um, in Second Corinthians, also where where Paul talks about the veil that that is over people's hearts and eyes, so that they cannot see when they're reading the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and he says that veil is removed where. At what removes it? He says it's removed in Christ. Right. So, I mean, that is a summarization of everything we said where he's saying the way to truly unlock the mystery of doctrine, the mystery of God, the mystery of the Bible 
is is a the person of Jesus, and he is the one. It's only him. It's only by yeah. what Paul says, turning. When one turns to the Lord, when one turns yeah. to Jesus and says, you are the way, the truth, and the life, yeah. then that veil is removed, and they can understand God. It So answer this question, and is it possible for people to worship the Bible over worshiping the risen Savior? Yeah, we have a word for it. It's bibliolatry. <laughs> bibliolatry. I haven't heard that one. That's oh yeah, that's good. And there is a. I'm telling you, the Trinity is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, not, not the, the Holy, Holy Bible. Bible. That's a yeah. big deal. And so yes, and I think that's what he's dealing with. What we start at the beginning, so, John five thirty nine. They're bowing down to the scriptures. Yeah. So how do you? I mean, obviously, any time you you challenge people in their yes. beliefs and their ways, there's going to be some sort of pushback, but how do you, with a gentle heart and yes. love, point out biblical idolatry? It, it sounds yeah. heretical, yeah, like the Bible is my idol. Exactly. Well, that's impossible. Right. Yeah. Well, is it? Mm. And then how do you help people move past that? Because I feel like this is a journey I've been going mm. through. Mm. And, you know, somebody may argue the statements or I can get some, I, you can give me pushback or whatever it is, but there's some people who say, you know, I just, and, and, this is, I, I'm kind of answering my own question. I feel like we've answered it, but I've had some people say, you know, I just put down, I just put down the Bible and I'm just really chasing after Jesus. Yeah. Right. And, and I think you can, you can do that, but I think some people have searched the scriptures and really felt like they've not grown closer to Jesus. And, and so it's like, what happens is if I were to say to you, or maybe not to you because you would give me a different answer. Mm -hmm. I would I would say to you know whoever you know I really don't feel like I've been close to the Lord lately. Mm. The first thing they would say is or ask is Have you been reading your Bible and have you been praying? Mm -hmm. Right. As if reading my Bible. Right. It and I get what they mean. Yes. But are, there but there's a sorry I will yeah those are ways and those are methods and it's the solution that that is in their the yeah. forefront of their mind there yeah so that's a great example of that <clears throat> yeah and so. As if the act of reading your Bible is, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, because atheists yeah. will read the Bible yes. and not have a, yeah, yeah, it's the spirit of the Bible and what the Bible is communicating. So that's a, that's a great, great example, I believe. Yeah, so how do we move people away from some sort of biblical idolatry into yeah. magnifying let Christ? Me, let me say, I want to, we have a high, high value for Bible I mean, this is what we're talking about. Our whole framework, what we're talking about right now, is from the scriptures. And so Jesus launches his ministry, quoting the scripture. He's using scripture to defeat a devil while he's starving in a desert. He has a high value. Paul has a high value on the scriptures. We love the scriptures. We just want the scriptures to be in their right place as the apostolic and prophetic witness to a person to the Godhead, to his redemptive purpose and relationship. That's what these scriptures are for. Not as a battle thing for where we figure out, we argue over truth, but we find the person of Jesus. So we challenge, I challenge them with exactly the content of what we've been talking about here. I do this in almost every discipleship deal. I'll show them John 539. Mm -hmm. I'll show them, you know, the, the value of what Jesus is valuing. Um, Galatians 2.20, you know, uh, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me is the ultimate verse about the Christian life is really Christ living through me. And so you're, you're, I'm always pointing them to a relational 
place with the person of the Holy Spirit and Christ and uh, letting the the scriptures be the supplement that helps and supports that. Yeah, the scriptures is a supplement. That's huge. It's an amazing. Yeah. It's, it's very important. And, and I would just add to that simply that, uh, yeah, in no way is any of this meant to detract from the scriptures no. or say that, well, you can just go and, and attempt to live your Christian life and you don't need the Bible or you don't need the scriptures. I mean, Jesus himself in fighting spiritual warfare and fighting off temptation in the wilderness was using yes. scripture. That was his the book of instrument of war, the book of Deuteronomy. <laughs> and so that that is the last thing we're trying to communicate. Right. What we're communicating is that the Bible itself and the words in it are not an end unto themselves, that that's not the end. The end is Jesus. The Bible, the scriptures are a means to get to the person. Yes. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, or 14, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And so it... It's interesting. He's he's saying, yeah, we can get into these discussions, these doctrinal discussions. Where do we stand? What does this mean? Kind of thing. And it can ju- we can just run in circles, and it can actually produce ungodliness. Right. And I think that's really important on both sides. <clears throat> on I'm both promoting, sides, yeah. or I'm fighting against. If I'm doing either one of those uh, without the end, end game of presenting Christ, lifting him up, then I think we've entered into a cul-de-sac of missing the point. <laughs> and maybe maybe that comes back to 1 Corinthians 1, where Paul's saying, uh, you guys are divided, and some are saying, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow yeah. Peter. Um, and he's like, is Christ divided? Like, you're, fo- <laughs> you're following Paul? And I think that yeah. goes back to the isms where... And I say this not in a uh, harsh, judgmental, unloving way, but in a loving, I think, hopefully, the passion that Paul had of like, why, why are you saying I follow this ism? I follow, I follow Arminianism. I follow Calvinism. I follow this or that. It's like, well, listen, there might be some truth in those things, and I'm not. Yeah. That's not the point. But like, wh- why is your your view of Christ so low that your boast is in something other than Him? Wow. Mm-hmm. Well. Well, tell me, Sam or Jordan, how do we, what do we do moving forward? How do we check ourselves, correct our hearts and get on a, get well, on in a good place to move forward with I just think we want, we want to start ourselves. with this podcast really because <clears throat> Jesus is the center of all this. So I think we labor in a war where an enemy's trying to rip us off and our flesh will go away. We labor with the help and the power of the Holy Spirit to keep Jesus center, to keep him center in conversation and preaching and mission. I think evangelism can happen and we lose him. <laughs> which is strange. Yeah. We, his atonement is getting me the reward of heaven when really Jesus is the reward of the gospel. Yeah. The very one who earned, he's the reward. And so we continue to accurately present that in agreement with the Holy Spirit. And we keep Jesus as the center, the lens, that we have a Christocentric theology. We have a, you know what I mean? A, not a redemptocentric. And what that means is just getting saved is not my main it's getting Jesus, you know, and he is the way I go through it. And that will produce a Jesus hermeneutic through which I look at all things in Scripture. And I believe the Bible suddenly becomes alive at a new level when Christ is who I'm looking at this through and finding when I read it. Yeah, and, and I would say 
it comes down to there's a great weight of responsibility on teachers and on pastors and on leaders in the body of Christ, and especially on those who have the loudest uh, mic right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. so Paul, again, going back to 1 Corinthians 3, where he says, and he's, I think in the context of 1 Corinthians 3, he's talking about ministers of the gospel, <clears throat> ministers of, of uh, Christ, and he says we must be careful. Each one has to be careful about how he is building and in, again, in the context, how he's building on the body of Christ. Like, what mm-hmm. what sort of things are you building on Christ's church? Are you building things that are rooted and grounded in, in Christ? Or are you building things that are rooted and grounded in philosophy and human wisdom and, mm-hmm. and the natural man's understanding of God? And so I think, first off, I'd say that there's a great weight of responsibility that, that every yeah. pastor and teacher would stop and look at what they're doing, look at what they're believing, look at what they're teaching, and say, "Is can I really say that Christ is all in all in this doctrine? Can I really say he is the end all, he is the main point, he is the, the substance? Um, and then I'd say, for personally, for the disciples that would be listening, the those who aren't necessarily the pastors and the teachers, that put yourself under those who are mm. teaching that. Find those who are teaching that, and then seek God. You know, he says, if you ask for wisdom, uh, that he'll give that. So ask the Spirit to be teaching you and showing you in the Scriptures and showing you just in your personal walk with them, what does it look like for you to be knowing Jesus as your righteousness yeah. um, in all things. So Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 2, I only know Christ, Christ in him, him crucified. crucified. He was singularly focused. And so that's what we need to do. Yeah. It's huge. I dig it. Let me, uh, let me get us out of here by reading Colossians 1, uh, verse 15 through, uh, through 20. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. In everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He's he's everything. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Thank you guys for listening. We'll be back with another episode here soon. Check us out. Bye.